We're putting the band back together. Forget it. No way. We're on a mission from God. people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. Oh, who are the people in your neighborhood? Well, they're the people that you meet each day. Hmm. Note to self, next time you say that, put some music behind it. I think it could really take off. Today on the People in Your Neighborhood podcast is what we call BBTT, also known as Band Back together Thursday and we have regrouped a dynamic band of creative people that have been in my neighborhood for a long time and probably in yours too. I hope you enjoy hearing the band back together today. Formerly known as Hocus Pick Maneuver. Hocus Pick to the people in your neighborhood. Are you there, guys? Hello. Hello. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Hmm. I just finished oh. that book. Oh, please. That's, that's gotten me through a lot huh. in this strange time. How are you doing? Doing well. It's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> All things considered, how are you doing? Very, very well. Good. It's good to hear your voices again, I got to say. It's been uh, <laughs> at least a year or two. I know Matt, Matt's probably the last one I talked to, probably in the last couple of years. We did some business uh, probably right. five or six years ago, I think. Yeah. yeah. We talked then. And, but, uh, but I've, and I've conversed with you guys over the last couple of years, but Facebook isn't exactly the same. Almost, but not quite. Was your, so was, who was, who was, who, who's on with us today? Caller number four. I think we're like polite Canadians just waiting for the other guy to respond. <laughs> That's right. You first. No, no, you. Okay, well, you got you got Matt here. I used to play the guitar in Hocus Pick. I still play the guitar, but not in Hocus Pick. Sometimes. Well, yeah. Very occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> Give Who it, else you is go. there? Russ, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Russ, and I live on Vancouver Island, and I used to sing in Hocus Pick, and I still sing, 
mostly not in Hocus Pick, but sometimes, like this past October, I did. Hi, Russ. Welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and I'm Rick, and uh, I play the drums in Hocus Pick still, and I'm wondering where all the other guys are. Um, <laughs> you, you keep showing up for rehearsal? I show up to practice every week, and they're not there. Um, and I'm in Burnaby, British Columbia. I don't, yeah. The least you guys could do is just let them know. Like, we're not practicing weekly anymore. Or maybe you've moved the location. I don't know. The secret location. Yeah, tell me somebody, some. Somebody tell Rick. Somebody tell Rick. <laughs> how are things going? How How is life in where you're at? Well, he's talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? You know, I'm going to start with. I'm going to start with this. Um, let's just start with the elephant in the room. Let's start with the 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 global issue that everybody's dealing with, and everybody's trying to work through and just get through at this particular time in history. Will there be another plain Edson record? That's just it. It's a thousand dollar question. I it is I, a thousand dollar question. I truly hope there will be. I think that guy's got real potential. <laughs> he unfriended me on Facebook, so I, I'm I'm completely out of the loop. And... What did you say? <laughs> you're what out did of, you do? Out of, you're out of la loop? I'm out of oh, the loop. Oh, I zinged it first. That was I don't know if it was clever, but it it fit. So. How did you, you 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 were unfriended? You got uh, unfriended by Riley? I think so. I haven't checked if we're still friends. Yeah, it, I mean either either that or he hasn't posted anything on Facebook in about six years. That's that's more likely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think likely. that's it? Yeah, yeah. I, I'll send him a note every six months to see how he's doing, and I haven't heard anything back in oh about four years. So, don't take it personally. Uh, okay. Maybe we can use this podcast to shame him no, back into no, existence. Look at that. No, he's he's still my friend. Okay. Yeah. Good. I lied. All right. He just doesn't answer when I send him messages. <laughs> it, it's not. It's not just you. Okay. I have a carrier pigeon at the at the ready. So if we want to, you know, join in on a message and send it out to him, or if we just again shame him, uh, put his post his phone number, and uh, we'll uh, have people call him at home. <laughs> I think I still have it. But yes, no. The, I the reason I brought that up is because there are several things that when I'm telling stories, I like to tell stories about you guys. Uh, I do a lot uh, because I over the what, years I've coached ones or and meant you just make up. Usually yeah, what one, kind of stories? Usually ones that I've made up. Uh, a tales of lore. Right. Yeah, uh, there's a, right. sometimes there's a semblance of truth about them. But I, you know, for every, right. every band that I've interacted with, that I've worked with, that I've promoted shows with, I always can walk away with at least one thing that I say, hey, this is what this band is doing. You guys would be smart to do this. So, for example, I worked with one band, and when we sat down to talk, they had a financial advisor. And I said, that's smart. And I said, because you want to, you know, you want to sit down with somebody like that and know that you're putting some money away for the future. Uh, with you guys, the story I tell, there's a couple, and we'll get into them tonight for sure. But the story I tell about you guys is that you were the band that could successfully tour Canada. And again, whether that's myth or not, that's what yeah. I tell people because I say, look, people are like, oh, I can't. People, people tell me, oh, I can't do it. I can't, I can't book the shows. I can't do this. And I'm talking, they, they would say this in the 90s and the 2000s when, when it was a lot more realistic to do. Oh. And I would say, you can because Hocus Pick does it. They have formed relationships. They understood the power of relationship. Yep. 
and they're able to, you know, leverage those relationships, get back in touch with people, and they're able to successfully tour from right across Canada to the other side, which is a lot of geography. I, I think we have the opposite problem. We couldn't sure. tour the United States. Yeah, we, we would tour Canada, no problem. We would do 32 right, shows yes. in 33 days. Which is a, but, which is a feat that I don't yeah. know anybody else, certainly not in the, in the Christian market, that was able to do that. I heard a lot of excuses, uh, but I never, you're the only ones that I know that could successfully do 30, you know, with 30 cities in 33 days uh, right across Canada. I always thought that was really cool. I mean, some have done more regional stuff, but not, not well, all the way across the board. So I, I you know, I commend you. For that. I, I think part of the difference is that you had to be willing to, uh, take what you could sure. get on the off nights and get creative. You know, you couldn't go, I've got a bus and a truck with a sound and light systems and I'll only do my full show. There was days when, when our gig on Tuesday night was right. in the youth room with 17 kids and an acoustic guitar and Rick playing drums on a pillow. But that would always, that would become something mm -hmm. the next time we came around, we'd have contacts, you know? And see, I, I compare you guys, and it was it works really well because you actually toured together, but I, I was involved um, with DC Talk in the early days. So there was, a, like in 1988, uh, we brought him into our youth group in Detroit, and they played a show for like 150 kids, and you would have thought that they were playing for 10,000. And I always, thought, I always said this about you guys and, and about DC Talk, is that you did the same show for 10 people that you yeah. would have done for 10,000 people. And I always thought that was good. You didn't come in and go, oh, man. And, I, and again, I, I watched all this stuff. You guys didn't come in and say, oh, man, there's only 10 people. Well, we'll, we'll give them half the show and, and send them on their way. Uh, you stayed. You talked to those kids so that the next time you came to town, those 10 people brought another 20 people or another 30 people. And you were able to, because you could tour across Canada, you could grow that audience because it was a consistent relationship that you were building from where I stood. Right. I was looking at it from the legal, from the business standpoint and saying, man, they figured out and again, not figured out everything perfectly, but they figured out how to cross this country and and make it work. Yeah. Was I correct? It's one of the yeah, few I, things I, I think we did figure out. That's a big one. That's a, you know, that is a, a, that's a big one to figure out. One of the hardest things I found in later years was finding somebody that could book artists. If I could have found one person that, you know, when I was managing different bands, if I could have found one person that would say, yep, or one company that would say, yeah, we'll do it. There were people that could do it bodily, but they couldn't do it, you know, on a comprehensive level. Yeah. So I was really, that's, that's one of the things that, when I, that I, you know, I'm proud of that you guys were able to do, but it took time. Obviously it certainly didn't happen overnight. I'm guessing. Uh, part, part of the difference is that we booked ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. there was a yeah. time there when we got a booking agent and it, and then it just didn't really work because, uh, a booking agent it works on a percentage of what they sell the show for. And if you're trying to sell it Tuesday night, somewhere between nowheresville and even more nowheresville, and you got to play in, yeah. you know, even less nowheresville, you're not going to get paid for it. You just have to, right. you just have to find somebody willing to you know, like a day off on the road costs 700 bucks. So a day where yep. you can get a gig where they're like, sure, you can play the youth room basement and you can sleep in 
my basement and I'll give you dinner and uh, that's better than not playing and you're bound to walk out of there with three or four or five hundred bucks in product sales and pass the hat whatever uh, that's the difference sure. of fifteen hundred bucks if you take in the negative that you would have spent but no booking agent's mm -hmm. going to book that because there's no commission for them so right. you end up yeah. with the only the paying there. gigs and a whole lot of holes and then you can't tour canada because you're playing saturday and and friday and sitting around five days a week going this doesn't work well, this, this kind of leads to my next question. And do you remember where we met? I don't. say Burger King? Is Burger King involved here or no? Oh, my gosh. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Burger King in the parking lot, uh, probably about 10 minutes from where I live now. There you go. And yeah. How, how did yeah. this happen? I, I, again, again I, asked, I, asked that question, I asked that question and I go, I'm setting myself up. Because people will go, no, no. Was that it? Was that an outdoor I don't, I don't gig? Think, I don't think I know you. Was that now. like some kind of outdoor it was an outdoor gig? gig? Yeah, like uh, in the in the parking. Okay, was, yeah, yeah. It was a guy named Sid, and I think it was I think his he was a hip hop guy, right? And he was uh, Can You Deal? Right, CYD, Rock T. Oh yeah, CYD, who I haven't heard of, have haven't heard from since. Nope. Um, I know you guys are probably still in touch. Nope. <laughs> On the horn. We should probably call him and see if we can get him on the in on the podcast. Uh, yeah, no, that that was the first time I saw you guys play, and that's and that's the impression I got from you that first show is that if there's twenty people here and if there's five hundred people here, and I'm I'm pretty sure that was an off night if I'm not mistaken, right? It's been a couple of years. So you're saying there was twenty people that was... in the Burger King parking lot? No, no, no. I'm saying I'm saying it was one of your Tuesday Wednesdays where you didn't have anything booked and you. I think the story was that you called a church and they said, yeah, we can do it at this location. I don't remember it being like months in advance that we knew about this show. Cause I was, I was in the scene at that point. I knew kind of, I had my finger on the pulse. I, there was no pulse, but I knew, you know, I knew if somebody's doing a show, uh, I knew, I knew that what was, what was happening, you know, enough because I was right in, in the music. So I don't remember there right. being like a six month buildup of this band's coming and they're going to play at Burger King. Maybe I'm mistaken. <laughs> was was rhythm and news with us too? no they were uh, not on that one not on that one so yeah it's it's been a couple of years just to, i was for one second to speak to what what you were saying before i just wanted yeah. to I it, I it was a whole band effort but russ uh as a as you know the front guy um that's a huge kudo to him as like you were saying for every show it didn't matter if there's five people or 500 mm -hmm. people um, that was a, a motto of punish the people who didn't come <laughs> by giving the people that are there uh, a great show. And and Russ would just, and he, to this day, uh, Russ does that every every single time hmm. you see him on stage. He's committed. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think we, we adopted that as a band, right? Because we had seen that backfire on other groups, whether they we saw them at festivals or even bands that toured with us that if you had a small crowd, sometimes bands will get up there and they'll, they'll whine yeah. on stage and, and they'll talk about how like, Oh man, we're bummed. There should be more people here. And then everyone in the crowd is going, well, yeah. we're here. Yeah. So why do that instead? Make it the best show ever so that those 10 people go, I saw this band. There were only 10 people in the crowd. It was, mm -hmm. wow. It was fun. Yeah. I can't tell you how many one, off festivals I'd been to over the, the over the years, 
uh, I went to one in Michigan one time and then they listed, they had everybody. Like it was, I, I knew I was booking project X for uh leaving 10 at the time. So I knew kind of what bands were charging and they probably had like 10 artists one day, 10 artists the next day. And they had, I think 300 people show up and we're talking, you know, grits and yeah, pillar was there and all this stuff. And they literally spent the day between sets begging the people that were there to give more money. And I'm going, you're, you're punishing the people that are here because other people didn't show up. It was, it was, I don't know if it was heartbreaking as much as it was just sad. It was like, just take the loss at this point. Don't go back out and just try to hammer the people that are there to go to the ATM and get more money out of their account. They're here. Let them spend their money on band merch and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But it was like, that was, I didn't feel sorry for the promoter. I just, I didn't, uh, I just felt sorry for the people there that were just getting the prosperity. So along those lines, I, we, I won't, I won't name too many names cause I, whatever, we were playing a festival mm. in Canada and, um, and I remember they're doing settling after, after we played and, and the artists that went in before us, the, the first thing they said to the artists, was like, well, look, you know, it, it was a rough year. Can we, can we pay you less than we agreed upon? And I, I think the artist came back with, well, you know what? I've been, I was meaning to talk to you about that. It's been a rough year for me too. And I was going to ask you right. to pay me more uh, than what we agreed upon. And then, oh, you know what? No, we should probably just do what we agreed upon. And then I think it was Matt went in to settle next with, for our stuff. And, and they're like, look, we don't have the money. And remember Matt, I, stop me, Matt, if I have this wrong, but in my memory, you, you, took this promoter basically by the shirt and walked around to all the merch um stations and the to the concession booths and stuff you're just kind of like no no i saw lots of cash you got cash there <laughs> yeah, and you and you w w marched this guy around and got our money <laughs> that's amazing am i remembering that I, right I, I don't remember doing that but it's quite possible <laughs> you you have some of my favorite memories because that's one and then a dinner at a denny's in the middle of nowhere um we'd roll up to these denny's with you know i whatever, remember that Denny's. 15 or 16 people we'd go in there at like two in the morning and and we would stop at places like denny's because we you know a denny's in wichita tastes the same as a denny's in in florida and and we had the worst service and the worst it was just it was bad and I remember we're going to pay our bill and Matt's just like, you know what? This dinner wasn't worth that. I'll pay you half. And, and they're like, it, uh, it doesn't work that way. And Matt's like, well, here's my card. Get your manager to call me if there's a problem. <laughs> we'll send you the other half. That, that, right, was the Denny's, that was the Denny's where we showed up at nine o'clock and we put our order in. And then at 10 o'clock, we didn't have any food. And the guy comes back to us and goes, uh excuse me sir but we don't we need to get you to change your order because we don't serve mashed potatoes after 10 o'clock you <laughs> ordered the mashed potatoes I'm like yeah at nine i ordered them at nine so nine. yeah no that's you like, yeah again you gotta have somebody that's like no that's not what we bargained for that's 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 pretty cool yeah. so, if you have one person in the group that's okay like no, so that. that was my that was sorry. That was I totally got sidetracked. That was my point. It was uh, so what Russ uh, sort of praising Russ for his his tenacity and his just awesome frontmanship. And I mean, mm -hmm. and I praise Matt on his his guitarmanship too. But Matt on the booking end, Matt took the booking 
roll by the horns yeah. and booked us yeah. and got us gigs. And then for as long as we did it in the, in the literally thousands of shows that we did, um, we didn't get screwed often and we didn't get mistreated often. And, and a lot of that had to do just with what, how Matt, he hooked us up with people like you with um, good people. And, uh, and then the odd time when things were going sideways, Matt would take care of it. Mm. It had the, 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 uh, the acumen to to make a, a business run and he still does that to this i get day. called a lot of things but good people isn't isn't that's the first time i've heard that thank you very much i'm trying <laughs> oh, i'm getting better on. i'm getting better sorry <laughs> no it, I, I know the more you talk about it, the more i remember that matt was the the contact person matt was the person that you know we settled with matt yeah. was the person that was that was you know on top of what merch was doing oh yeah i, I yeah very cool. Yeah. And and again, I talk to a lot of bands that don't have anybody that, that is willing to step up and do that, right? They're waiting to have somebody, you know, whether it's a road manager or somebody else to do it. But yeah, it's it's part of the business. And, and that's probably why I would assume, you know, that's probably why you didn't have too many difficult times because Matt was willing to walk the promoter around <laughs> gently. Oh, but well, we had difficult times. There was There was lots of difficult times. But we just didn't, you know, turtle and go, oh, right. I guess we're done. Yeah, yep, I guess we better pack was, up. Yeah, that, it was. That, hey, guys, we're facing this one head on. Yeah. 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 And you know what? And that going back, like we kind of at the pre-interview, um, our our original management and and uh, guy, a guy named John Davis, that was one of the best things he ever taught us hmm. was no is not an option. Right. Tenacious is the word I would use for him for sure. Yeah. Because because yeah. he I remember him I remember him coming in when we when we did the brothers shows and uh, I think we started in Windsor we had the yeah, well, yeah. I had this theater oh, that yeah, I, I had that. this theater that I could use and I was doing shows out of there and and uh, I think you guys were camped there for a couple of days kind of setting up and getting ready and stuff like that and, and yeah it, it was he, when he would when he would explain it it was like and, and to, to to be fair the way he explained how the show was going to go is how the show went. Like the the video use, the all that kind of stuff, uh, it all went off as it was supposed to, which was cool. I remember crying like a baby in the bus in front of that theater. I remember that too. Yep. Because you were in Windsor. <laughs> I think it was a big argument. Mm. Is that what, Rick? Is that what you remember, or, or what? What are you thinking? Oh of? yeah, I think. I mean, I'll I'll take the blame. I think I was probably being overly sensitive or something and i just remember leaving we were rehearsing at we were rehearsing in that theater we had ter- setting the show up and taking it down or whatever and and uh yeah i just i just remember being on the bus in front of that theater and just, just yeah just crying you know, I, I i think there were power issues weren't there i think i think the old theater several several systems hadn't been updated or something like that I think there were just that was the beginning of a whole lot of issues. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, absolutely. Yeah, no, and and again, uh, when I tell this story, because I like to tell the story of people that I know that you know, and say, look, I can because I can always find several things that a group is doing well. Like I, that's the way I operate in life. It, it's it'd be easy to just go, well, they didn't do this, or they didn't do that, or they don't handle hospitality, or whatever the case may be. I'd rather start with, here's what I learned from, and to be honest, I have learned many things from either people that I've worked for 
that uh, I would never do the same way, <laughs> right? I think I've learned. I think I've learned better from people that uh, I saw them operate in a way that was maybe less than ethical or whatever, or they did or borderline illegal. And I learned from them not to do the same thing. So I've learned as much from bad managers and and, and I'm, I'm not talking. I'm talking work managers and that kind of stuff. I've learned from people that um, how not to do things. And I and I like I teach a lot now, and I use those as examples. I change the the, the dates, I change the information to not expose anybody. But I say, I, I, I remember working with somebody who never got off her phone during a meeting. And so the meeting would be three hours when it should have been one because she never stopped looking down at her phone. And I always say, I learned that I need to put my phone away during meetings and I need, need to be present, but I probably wouldn't have learned it as well if I hadn't learned it from somebody who did the opposite. And I, and I, and I kind of see that I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that you were able to transcend a lot of things because you had that attitude. Like, I'm going to learn from this experience and I'm going to keep moving on. Would you agree? Yeah, there there was a lot of learning from experiences mm-hmm. and, yeah. and refusing to die. There yes. was many yep. times in our band where we probably should have just gone, okay, we're done. But, <laughs> sure. But yeah. we didn't. No. Yeah. Every time I saw you guys, like, okay, we saw, we started in the Burger King parking lot. And, uh, and again, I was impressed by, and I heard your stuff too. I'd heard, you know, the, the, the stuff on the first, the first released album, the word Canada album. And I, so I knew I was familiar with you guys, but when I saw you guys do it live, I was like, this is, this is something like, this is powerful. They're, they're connecting with the audience and people are dancing. When I listened, I went back today and yesterday I was listening to the old, the, your albums. And I can tell you honestly, as I'm listening to him, I'm smiling. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you listen. Sometimes you listen to something you used to listen to, and you're doing air guitar, right? Or you're doing drums, or you're you're doing this. I was listening to like Safe Assumption, and I went, "Oh man, I remember the first time I heard this song, or the first time I heard saw this video, or uh, you know, Turn Around in Circles." I forgot about that one, and I went, "Oh man, I remember being at the show and everybody's jumping around." So for me, music does that. Music takes me back to. Sometimes the first time I heard it and, and like something like safe assumption. Now I hear the influences that I didn't even know at the time. Like I can hear seventies, James Taylor type, Larry Carlton in there. Like I was, I, I was pleasantly surprised because I just enjoyed it at the time. And because we were doing the show, I'd listened to your album probably a hundred times and, you know, hyping everybody up and getting everybody to come out to the theater. But now I can listen to it and hear the influences that were there that I didn't even, that I didn't even appreciate at the time which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. But as I was listening to it, I could, I saw myself smiling and I went, Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember how I feel. I remember, I remember when I did this one live. I remember when the guys called, was it, who was it Russ's mom from stage or. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I re- well, the, and that speaks to the time of like the, the technology too, right? Yeah. Because now it wouldn't be a big right. deal to like, <laughs> Oh, put someone's face on the screen. But when we did that, the idea was more, Oh, if we're going to do this, we don't have, there's no internet. There's no we don't <laughs> Wi-Fi have satellite technology. Nope. It was just literally, uh, let's, let's film my mom in this scripted conversation and then make it work live. And that was the impressive thing. Like, I can't believe they've got this technology. Whereas now it'd be like, this is, no yeah, everybody's got that. What are you talking about? But in, in the early nineties, <laughs> it, yeah, it left an impression with people, which was cool. So again, I'm not trying to inflate your egos, but the next time I, every time I saw you, every time we interacted, I never saw you in the same setting, whatever the show was, 
I remember uh, GMA uh, in 1993. Uh, I get to town. This is my first GMA, 1993. I get to town, and I'm staying with somebody I'd never met before. It was uh, Eric Spath was his name. Hey, Eric. Eric. That was how I met Eric. A friend of mine said, hey, this is the room you're staying in. And and Eric was the guy. So Eric, as soon as I got there, Eric says, we're going out to find a Canadian flag. And I said, "Uh, you're going to want to find a Canadian flag in Nashville. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds interesting. And we probably went to like seven stores until we found the biggest, most obnoxious Canadian flag. And the night you played, I, do you remember us, like we were waving it in the crowd and I think somebody wore it at some point. That was crazy. Was that at three, 328? 328, yes, it no. was. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was 328. Yeah, 328 Performance Hall. So that was the next time I saw you. Again, a different setting than a Burger King, you know, uh, parking lot. And then I remember the show in Franklin when you did the small cafe. Um Couple of the Windsor Jam shows, Java. Jam and Java. Might have been that. The Windsor yeah. shows at the theater, and then at the bar, the uh, the bar that became a church. So I, I always appreciate you guys could mold yourself into whatever the venue was. How did you How did you get to that point? <laughs> uh, I think it's more of a question of how did we never leave that point? I, I think we started at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. I I don't know. I think every band starts uh, playing the tiny venues, and then after they've had a taste of the big venues, they they can't adjust. I don't know. You have a chance to play, play, be who, be what, do what you can in the space you're in, and make it good. I I I think part of it too for us was that um, uh, we had really good relationships as the four guys in the band and we genuinely enjoyed each other's company. Hmm. We were genuinely friends. And so throw us in a coffee shop and tell us to play our songs. And we'd be like, well, it's fun to play together. So I don't care if there's seven people here and they want to drink coffee. I'm going to enjoy playing my songs with my friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And I, I think that's sort of what came across from us at a live show that was infectious and made our, like when you say you listen to those songs and you're smiling, I think you're smiling because what what came across, what you remembered was the vibe that came off the stage of four guys who genuinely loved one another and loved playing together. Yes. You're absolutely right. That's what it was because it's infectious because then your audience who sometimes had never heard of you, right? It's a whole new audience and they're going, I like, this is catchy. This is fun and I'm enjoying myself and I feel like I'm part of what's going on. Yeah. I think we tried to maybe just keep like uh, some kind of wonder in there the whole time. Cause I mean, that's when any band starts out. I mean, you, you dream of, of people actually wanting to hear the songs that you've written and recorded. And then if it happens, there's wonder in that. And then you do a show and you're trying to work a crowd and hope that they can get into your music. And when they get into it, there's wonder in that. And then when people come to your shows and they know your songs, there's, it's just, there's wonder the whole way through and Mm -hmm. just uh, being thrilled that people want to be part of your music. Okay, so can I jump in here and ask a question? I know I'm not the interviewer and this would be me hijacking your podcast. Uh, absolutely. Can, 
Okay, so I, since we're reminiscing about shows, and Ryan, you're going on about these shows that you remember, that to be honest with you, I can't remember any of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I'm just nodding here going, sure, okay, we played at a Burger <laughs> King. Like, I, I don't remember that. And sure. uh, I kind of remember the Franklin one in the, in the Jamma Java. Um, but other than that, I don't remember any show you've talked about yet. But so I'm curious to know, um, um, uh, Russ and Rick, in your memory, in your mind, your most favorite show we ever played. Absolutely. That's a good question. And, and I will start. Uh, my most favorite show we ever played was it the Cup of Joy in in Wisconsin. And it it was this tiny little christian coffee house maybe held 70 people and if i remember correctly and it was free and 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 if i remember correctly there was like 200 people showed up and they couldn't fit them all in and we'd never played this venue before we'd never played wisconsin before i don't think and when we crammed 80 or 90 or 100 people into this coffee shop and we got to playing i'm so happy Everybody knew the words, and <laughs> Russ just stopped singing. He just stepped back from the microphone, and we played the song. I think maybe Russ sang the first six words, and then stepped back, and the audience sang every single words. And if you know that song, there's a lot of words oh, in that are, song. Yeah. And they just sang the whole thing. That's Even the bridge. It's like super fast, go, 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 speak, talk, sing. And... And I just sat there playing my guitar going, okay, I've, I've peaked. I mean, there's only 75 people here, but <laughs> yep. these people knew my song, like knew it. And I'd never been here before. Hmm. That is my favorite show. Rick, I want to hear your yours next. That, Matt, Matt, that's great. Yeah, yeah totally. It was one of my questions, which is awesome. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm scra- I, I actually totally remember that, Matt. And I, and I, it's so funny. What one of my I remember thinking this sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like playing and just going like, "Wow, like this sounds great." Because um, yeah, so I'm with you. I totally remember that. Um, uh, I'm trying to like it's man. I I re- actually remember lots of shows. Um, uh, but I I'm trying to think of a individual favorite one. Um, there, there were a lot of good ones in Wisconsin. We played that. I don't know if it was called like the Green Bay Arena or something. We played like a Catholic. Was it was it a Catholic youth youth convention or something? Hmm. There was some festival, but I just remember it was just packed, and we we sold like a crap load of merch, and we just we rocked it. It was just it was like a total rock show. Um, a night when you were just on, you knew you were yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just you know it just everything landed, and it was a. Uh, a big show but i'm i'm at a, like i can't it's hard i don't i can't think of one in particular one um that uh yeah i remember that 328 show because uh, at one point i looked over and um there was one of the guys from take six and one of the winans um, <laughs> in the nice. wing uh nice. and they were like totally laughing and just grooving to, to like sophologic or something and i just remember thinking that's so cool it's a happy moment <laughs> yeah. very cool how about you russ um i'm gonna go with a double header and and 
one of the funnest shows was it had to be playing the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver. Yeah. Just because of the venue being somewhere we had gone as kids and seen different artists play. And, and all of a sudden it was, it was part of this PNE uh, Pacific national exhibition showcase thing. And it, DC talk where they, they were the headliner, but we got signed up to be the opening act. And so we were just excited to play the Coliseum. And I remember even in the sound check, um, you know, having, memories of seeing brian adams play there and so in soundcheck playing part of summer 69 and being like yeah um but i think what was funny is you know you get like a big gig like that um which was a lot of fun but at the end of it we had to go we had to i think we had to fly out to new york just to do a festival or something like that and we realized soon you know when we got to the gig that we're like hey everyone we know we've invited to the show like our parents our wives uh, friends and like no one can give us a ride to the airport <laughs> and so we're like, how are we going to get to the airport and so one well, we had all our gear like, right we had all our instruments and yeah, our merch yeah. merch yeah. and the whole deal so we, we looked into getting a taxi and then we went hey how much does it cost for a limo so <laughs> it wasn't much more to get a limo so we're like yeah nice. yeah man we're playing the coliseum and we're gonna get picked up in a limo which is kind of glamorous right but then when the limo showed up once we shoved all our gear in and all our T-shirts, there was nowhere to sit. <laughs> so we're like, you got your butt pressed against the window and like, all right, I'm going to the airport in a limo, but it's not all that glamorous after all. So, Put the sunglasses on and wave to the people while you're scrunched up in the corner. There you go. That I like limo driving. That, and then I, I know that one of our smallest gigs, I mean, like, obviously when you start off as a band, there's lots of gigs where there's nobody there. But I mean, I think even well into our career, I know we played Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Some mm -hmm. venue where, where when we showed up, we're like, yeah, they told us, like, we, uh, we're normally open just on Saturdays, but for the first time ever, we're going to go with Friday, and that's today. And you guys are playing, like, great. That means that no one's going to know to show up on a Friday, right? So mm -hmm. when we did right. the gig, I, there was probably like four people working there. Um, there was no one in the crowd until two girls came in and they were there. I remember they're dressed up all kind of fancy, like because they had tried to crash a, a grad party or something like that. And they got booted out and they happened to walk past and they heard this band playing. So they came in and we had two people in the crowd. And I remember, but that was one of those moments of like, we got to work this. And I remember we went out onto the, the main road. We had a wireless mic and wireless packs on our guitars. And we're like, we were lying down in the middle of the road and singing the song and whatever. That was fun. Yeah, I think in the end we wound up with four Very people, cool. right? Didn't we? I think we wound up with. There were Did we four. get it to four? Yeah, I think we got two more people that came. Woohoo! But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we that was the smallest, yeah. but we we definitely did a bunch of small ones. But that one was the. Yeah, that one takes the prize for the fewest. Yeah, and but I feel like I feel like you understood, and as, we, as we've said before, that you understood that you had this opportunity uh, to connect with those people that are there and if they leave fans that the next time you come to town the potential is they're going to tell people Although, and again we this never was, did this we never did go back to chattanooga no we never went back to chattanooga <laughs> uh, i will no. reminisce hang on i'll <laughs> well, reminisce that, about that, one that cancels my story yeah, about yeah. one quick story um about so we toured yeah. on the free at last um dc talk across canada with Okay, that 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 was my next question. Do you, are you reading no. my notes? Because I, how many cities did you do with DC Talk? I, that I don't remember, Matt. Russ, oh, okay. I think we did ten or eleven in Canada, and then we did the their B Market tour 
a couple of years later in yeah. Eastern USA, uh, and I'm going to go with nine shows, something like that. With Jesus, Freak, okay, yeah. no, but on the so on the yeah, but so, so please tell me a story, yeah, and in and in honestly, in no way a, a sort of a lamenting or a, a griping. This is just how life happens. And Russ, Matt, jump in anytime if I'm telling this wrong. But so we were doing this tour across Canada, and it was, it was the first time getting introduced to like Denny Keatsman and uh you know the running of a tour yeah. under a guy like Danny um yeah their whole team and yeah. uh and every night i remember john and whoever would be like you know you got to get those guys to see you like you you got to get toby mike and kevin to come and watch you guys so every night we'd be like guys like yeah. tonight you're going to watch and, and they were like yeah we are it's <laughs> just it's hard cuz that you guys are right on right when we do our devotional bible study with with guido and uh and uh, right. we're like, okay. Yeah. So every night we'd be like, how about tonight? And they're like, yeah, yeah, probably tonight. And then it'd be like, oh, you know, we had an interview or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So we, we did the whole tour. Um, and the last few shows they watched. And then I think the last show of the tour we were in Victoria and they pranked us and they did this thing where, because we used to cover I Will Follow by U2. And, um, and then we realized mm-hmm. pretty early on in playing it that Matt's guitar wasn't on and Russ's vocal wasn't on. And, um, uh, Toby comes out. Uh, uh, I guess Toby's dressed up like Bono, and and or no, Toby was like the Edge, wasn't he? Toby was the Edge, yeah. Yeah, Toby was the Edge, and and <laughs> Kevin was Bono, and uh, and they sang uh, "I Will Follow" with us, and it was it was awesome, and it was great, and and we kind of had like a post tour dinner out. I think it was probably just at Denny's or something, but it was at Denny's. I know that Denny's. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Russ is right close to that Denny's <laughs> now. Um, and nice. Uh, the whole thing had been the rest of the U.S. because they were. This was kind of their warm up of free at last. They were working kinks out to do their big U.S. tour, and they hadn't. Yeah. And they hadn't picked to do the big U.S. tour yet. And John was saying, like, you gotta, you know, get in there. Wow, these guys. Like, and uh, anyway, so we go to that Denny's, and I remember um, Toby takes us kind of aside, and he's like, "I'm not blowing smoke up your butts." He's like you guys i wish i had seen you guys earlier in the tour and we're like why and he's like because wow um in my memory he was like because you know i we i think we would have you know taken you guys out as our opening act but we've decided to go with this band called audio adrenaline and uh and it was just it was like it felt like a sort of a pivotal kind of ah and uh am i am i russ are you is that proper? Am I remembering that right? That to- yeah, that totally sounds right. Yep. Um, and it's just interesting. And Toby's and Toby's a straight shooter. Like he would he would he would tell you, like you know, when you talk about people of integrity in the industry, uh, Toby's in there. Yeah, and he's there's, there's know, only a handful, but he's one of them. <laughs> he's always been nothing but like complimentary and supportive and a good friend to us. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, I've you know connected couple times over the years with them and when they come through town and um but it it's you know it's just interesting it's one of those like oh you know wonder i wonder what would have been different had we uh you know yeah um, but he went out of his way to you know like again they like matt said they you know went on jesus freak they took us out again and um and we and we came really close to signing to goatee mm-hmm. we did sign on a napkin that's true we had a letter of intent that, on a napkin that is yeah. that is legally binding that is yeah. legally binding. If you need me to go file, you know, uh, <laughs> against a goatee 
for the <laughs> potential earnings that you should have had, we can we can talk about that after the podcast. All for right. Sure. Well, Russ, Russ a nap, napkin is legal. It it's honestly if Russ wants if you want to tell Russ real quick because that was there's been a couple of like I like what Matt said about there were a couple times um, where we you know probably should have just packed it in. And I'm so mm. happy. I'm so happy we didn't because, like Matt, I think I totally appreciate what Matt said. That um, there's so much crap. Just you know, it's it's the music business, and it's ninety percent business and ten percent music, and and it's all yep. about that ten percent. That's the payoff. Getting on stage and and playing, whether it's for four people or four hundred people, that was the payoff all the time. And I think we, when we got to those moments, especially like on that brothers tour, which I don't know, we could talk about. Um, where we literally uh, almost sold our gear and went home. And yep. we, I think, came to the, the consensus in the group of like, if anyone's going to sink us, it'll be, it'll be us. We're not going to let someone else sink us. Right. Yep. We're going to, yeah, we're going to take control of this. Um, yep. But one of those low moments I remember clearly, and I, I, because Russ was the guy who was there, the, that, the whole that goatee thing, that was a low moment. Yeah. Oh yeah, so, that and the, what that was us finding out from Goatee that no, it, it did not look like they were going to sign us after all. And, and Rick, you and you and I went down to Nashville to see if we could salvage it, right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah the whole thing was negotiated. All the why numbers. Not, why not? Why not take the shot? Yeah. At that point, at that, I can see doing that because at that point, what we've got to lose? Let's go. Let's go see if there's something we can do to. Well, like Matt was saying, it, it, was a, it was a done deal. Like it, it was, was a done deal. Yeah, we were waiting I mean, for the paper. The, all of the points had been hashed out, all the numbers, the timelines, the percentages, everything. It was done. It's like, great, we'll, hmm. we'll write it all up. We'll send it to you to sign. And then we got the phone call of, uh, some things have changed, guys. No. I think what's neat yeah. in that, too, is like, Rick, I remember that you and you and me, when we went down to Nashville and, and met with the people at Goatee and tried to figure stuff out, that we didn't have anywhere to stay. And uh, Roberta Croteau, who wonderful lady who worked at Word Canada, she was, she she is, was yeah. key in, in yeah. you know, she was basically our A and R person at Word Canada yeah. uh, from when we were signed there. And then when we when we kind of left Word Canada and pursued other stuff, you know, it was a little bit. I th- I'd say our relationship was a bit strained with Roberta. Um, and even once we were doing the whole goatee thing, it was still, you know, we had totally patched things up with Roberta, but I mean, she was kind enough to, and, and I guess we were maybe brave enough to call her and go, hi, we have nowhere to stay. Can we, can we come over to your house? <laughs> yep. You know, yep. we're all bummed because this goatee thing has fallen through, but Roberta was just kind to us and helped us through. And it just shows uh friendship beyond business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You, and you're reminding me, Russ, that that was because that was one of their, and I can't remember if I was talking to Todd Collins or one of, I don't know, one of us, we, one of their points was like, there's some worry about you guys being in Vancouver and not moving to Nashville. It makes it hard to to work. And that was one of our things. I remember we were just like, well, we'll be there in the morning. Like, right. Sure. It, yep. That was one of our things. We'll, we'll get there. We'll prove it to you. Like it, it, us being in Vancouver isn't a yep. thing. So like it's, at great expense to ourselves, we just hopped out a plane and yep. got to Nashville in like, you know, <laughs> 12 hours and, um, and it's, you know, and it still didn't work, but that was still part of that ethos of, uh, of no is not an option and, and, you know, make things work no matter what. And um, Now has time, has time changed your perspective on, on that particular situation? 
I just wish we still had the napkin. <laughs> you know. I wish I hadn't wiped my mouth on that napkin. It was, you know, it was the one I all I had to do was put it in my pocket, give it to Ryan. He would have stayed on. Well, they we do you remember that Matt? We I remember sitting outside the goatee offices. We got cigars and we smoked cigars, and they took us into the offices and swagged us out with all the goatee gear and. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I I think I remember once sitting down with my dad. I don't remember, like it was near the end of Hocus Pick or maybe even after it and, and kind of reminiscing with him and saying, oh, we made so many mistakes. We turned left when we should have turned right so many times. Mm. And my dad said, you can't do that to yourself. You make the best decision that you can make with the information you have at the time. And that's the direction you take. And if you keep looking back at all the things you could have done differently, you will never go forward yeah. anymore in your life. So mm. stop shoulding on yourself. <laughs> and uh, which is not which is not just a valuable lesson in the music industry. Yeah. It's a valuable lesson. So you know that to be able to you know say, somehow for some reason that one didn't work out, and we we yeah. we went a different direction and ended up where we ended up, and there were regrets and mistakes, and there were failures, and there were triumphs. What? It it all was yeah. a part of uh, the journey of life that brings us to where we are today, and um, yeah. you know, learn your life lessons along the way. You the, know, I in that pre-interview questionnaire you sent out, Ryan. I, I don't know if you read it. I don't know if you bothered. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read them. <laughs> but um, Matt, Matt, what you were saying there, like, yeah, your dad. That's those words are so amazing to hear. Yeah. Um, and I, I wrote in that thing, I, do you remember Ken Dangerfield? I've always held on to that. Do you know, Ryan, did you ever know an entertainment lawyer named Ken Dangerfield? Um, in Vancouver, here, no. big, tall, yeah, tall, That's a great name. remember Matt, like booming voice, tall guy. And I always remember his advice. He's like, look guys, it can take your money and your sanity or just your money. And I was sure I've yeah. held on to that yeah. one since then too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's 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 good advice. Those are those are gr- yeah. both great pieces of advice because I've always said to clients, the contract is only as good as the people that are willing to or not yeah. willing to uphold it. You can have an air you can have an airtight recording contract where you get all the perks and everything. Uh, you know, I learned that from we uh, when I was taking entertainment law, we had a uh, a lawyer from Sony that came in and said, look be under the table. We've got a whole list of stuff we can give you, but if you're not, if you're not smart enough or knowledgeable enough to ask for it, we're not going to offer it to you. And, uh, and I, I, that one stuck with me, but the idea was the contract's only as good as the, the word of the people that sign it. So you can have an airtight contract and you have one person that, or one side that's not willing to honor the contract. Uh, there's, you don't really have a lot of choice and you've got to figure out, okay, what's our next step? Do we keep going or do we shut down? And so one of the things I like about you, and I, again, my perspective, because we kept in conversation through the, through those years in the nineties is that when you're on a stage and you're doing, I'm so happy. And I knew from our conversations, the years that had preceded that and what it took to get to that point where you could sing that. And I know, I know the song is, you know, tongue in cheek and all that kind of stuff, but there is a, there's an an absolute proclamation that you're making you know, when you're doing that song and you, and I can see that you guys had the same energy, just like you talked about, you know, playing for 20 people, 
you had the same energy years later in those years, in the snappy years and all that kind of stuff that you had when I'd seen you before kind of the rough times. And I just thought, man, like they, there's, they, they've rebounded. They've, you know, they're able to press through and do what they had to do yeah. to keep going. And I always, you know, commended you. The, the, you, the flip side of, you know, and I didn't know about the OT stuff, but I knew, as I said, the first show I did with DC Talk was the three of them when they're all dressed the same. And it was like the, like they were, they were brand new. And I had a friend that was a mutual friend of theirs and they, they had a free, like a Wednesday date and they came and played the youth group convention and they played in a, a killer show for, and, and it was the first album. It was, it's not the, their greatest, their greatest work by far, <laughs> but they nailed it. They, they did the same thing. They brought the same energy that you would have brought to that same crowd. And uh, so then the next time I see them, they're at creation and they're playing for, you know, 40,000 people. And it's the same show. It's the same energy. It's all that kind of stuff. And then, so by the time I get the word that you guys are going out on tour with DC Talk, I'm like, they're doing 10, 12 dates with DC Talk? That's amazing. So I wasn't seeing it as you were losing the opportunity to do more shows with them. I was coming from the perspective of, that's pretty awesome that I know how much I knew. And I know how fast those guys grew. Like it, it was, it was like year to year, insane growth. And the idea that you were going to go on tour with them for across Canada, I'm like, these guys are doing really yeah. well. You know what I'm saying? From a from an outside standpoint, and from just from an opportunity to hit a whole different audience because they were so you know everywhere. So I looked at it from the perspective of I didn't think, well, if they do these ten shows, then they can do another thirty shows with them. It was like, do those ten shows and just nail them. You know, do them through them and get and win over their crowd, which I believe you did. Yeah, I, I was at the Windsor show. I was at the Windsor show. There were a ton of people that didn't know you and you had a lot of fans. You probably sold a lot of merch yeah. at that, at that event. So for, so I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm seeing it from a different perspective coming from the law and from the business side and saying, Hey, you get those 10 shows, you do everything you can to win over the people that are there. Cause they're not really there to see you. They're there to see DC talk and you have the chance to win over, you know, 20% well, or 30% of them. So the next time you come we around there, they're, they're going to come to your show. So that's, that's the person I can, I'm looking at it from the other side saying, good for you for getting those we 10 were a good shows. opening you know acts. We like being same, opening acts because we were like, we know that if we play in front of this big crowd, we can come back here and play in front of this same crowd. Cause we knew that we were, we, exactly. you know, we were a live band. That's where we, that's where we nailed it. Yep. Yep. And you did it. You, 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 you did it in so many, and probably in not just the cities I saw you in, you did it in all, all kinds of places. So that's what I, you know what I'm saying? I didn't see the DC talk thing as a disappointment. I saw that as a great opportunity that you guys had. Yeah. And I was happy. I was happy knowing, knowing all of you at the time, I was happy to see that you were doing stuff together, which brings me to when you did stuff with Steve Taylor, same kind of thing. I was like, this is, if, if they're working with him and they're doing shows together, I, the, the sense of humor was, you know, compatible with what, what Steve was doing and still does. I thought that was yeah. great. So again, I'm, I'm on the outside staying in communication with you, but still from a distance and seeing things happen and go, this is, this is very cool. These are, these are great opportunities. I was a huge. So I, I guess I was, I was seeing the, I was seeing the, the half full side of the glass. On, I was on a huge sides. fan of Steve right. Taylor when I was a teenager. Uh, Touring with Steve mm -hmm. Taylor was the equivalent to me as touring with the Rolling Stones. I was like in awe every night. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the mosh pit every <laughs> night just going, I cannot believe I am touring with Steve Taylor. 
<laughs> yeah. I I would be right there with you. I remember when I was working with the insiders, they were getting ready to, we had, I negotiated their first deal, but it allowed them to do an, an album with, with Steve, with Squint. And so it was my birthday. I think I was 30. I think it was my 30th birthday. Steve came to town to meet with the guys. The guys called me and said, hey, let's all go to lunch. So I'm sitting there having lunch with Steve and with the guys. And I'm just like, don't ask every stupid question that's coming to your mind right now. Like I was such a fan, but I was the guy's lawyer. So, and I knew Steve from, you know, from seeing him at shows and stuff, but it was still, every time I'd seen him, then I was like, oh, yeah, Steve Taylor, you're awesome. I think you're so cool. And I, and I'm sitting there going, just don't, don't blow it. Just, just be a fly on the wall. And, but it, it, the inner fan was, was freaking out. Uh, so it, it was, I was like, and I was like, this is the best birthday ever. I'm hanging out with Steve Taylor and the insiders and we're, we're, they're rehearsing their new album. So yeah, I, I uh, met him right there with you as far as, you know, that, that uh, recognizing that he was doing something so different than what anybody else was doing in, in music and certainly in Christian music at the time. And I really appreciated like his sense of humor and timing, which again, I saw there being a real compatibility with what you guys were doing from when I met you. He should have been way huger than he was. Let's tell a Steve Taylor story. We got to do a Steve Taylor story. Okay, Absolutely. so that's Queen International Tour, right? That's 1994 in the States. Uh, we are the opening, opening band. Um, but the very last show, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm. And the, the shows, most of the shows <laughs> on the tour weren't that big, right? We had, there were maybe like average, average 100. You guys, does that sound right to you guys? No, right it was now? more than that. Was it more? Yeah. Okay. I just know that the last show, the Lancaster one. I'd was, say average was, 300. Okay. That the Lancaster one was big. I thought I remember that being like five hundred or something. No, like that. more than that. It was like fifteen hundred. Yeah, it was okay, a soft yeah. seater. It was a sold out soft seater. It was a hype show. It was great. Uh, but I remember that <laughs> before the show that Joe, the road manager, got Steve Taylor and his band and Guardian and us and just kind of laid it out, saying the promoters concerned about any stage diving and crowd surfing. So and I'm telling you, the, guys, remember who the promoter was, Russ? No. It was Tim Landis. Tim oh, Landis. Tim Landis. Okay. <laughs> He's the promoter of Creation Fest, Creation the Tim biggest Landis? festival in the eastern side of the United States. Yeah. yeah. And Joe's big yeah. thing is like, so I'm telling you guys, clear as can be, there will be no stage diving tonight by any of you. Tonight, there will be no stage diving by any of you. And he just kept saying it and saying it. And we're like, okay, we get it. We're not going to jump off the stage. We get it. So, you know, we go and do our show and it's lots of fun because there's lots of people. We don't jump off the stage at all. Um, Guardian does their show. <coughs> they don't jump off the stage. Steve Taylor comes out, does a great job. They, you know, the band's tight and all the stuff. And it was like one of the, it was like the end of the show, right? And uh, there's like the big uh, trash can ending of a song. And Steve is running around the stage. And at one point he just, he beelines to the drum set. Is that what you guys remember? Goes right to the yeah. drums. And something happens, and then he turns and looks at the crowd with this look in his eyes, and we're all thinking, no, he's not going to do it. And then he what is it? He jumps into the crowd. And we're all thinking, like, no, Joe's going to kill Steve. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, Steve and Steve's not a small man. When Steve no. jumps into a crowd, his arm span is about 14 feet. Yeah. And... And he's, 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 he could have been, you know, labeled a giant and he's a giant in the industry for sure, but he's a very <laughs> tall man. So when you launch somebody like that out into a crowd that maybe may not be good at <laughs> catching. Well, well Matt, just, Dave, uh, what do you remember as the end of that? What was, what was the aftermath? 
<laughs> well, just backing up for two seconds, you were right, Russ, but just earlier in the show, he had jumped up onto Carl's riser and remember, and he ran <laughs> face first into the end of his boom stand and broke his yep. nose. So he's bleeding too. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's what I remember. We're, I, I think we were in the balcony watching, looking down and, and yeah, he j- jumps in the crowd and uh, yeah. stage dives and we're, we're all just like, oh my gosh, because you know the Tim or uh, uh, the, the stage manager and the road manager had, had made such a big deal about there will be no stage diving, right? Yeah, and and Steve on and I've we've said this before that in in the dictionary beside integrity you can see a photo of Steve Taylor, absolutely, he is yep. like one of the most integrity filled people we'd ever met in this business and that's why it's so shocking that he would jump off the stage <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, we were all he knows stunned. the rules we were stunned that what but he knew he wasn't supposed to i can't believe he did you that oh my god you know what though in my experience there was like business you know like uh get along with easiest guy nice guy steve taylor and then there's rock steve taylor so yeah. rock steve yeah. taylor will do that kind of stuff that well, the other you, guy wouldn't do so matt and russ do you guys do you remember <laughs> that so we're when it went like and there was there was crap to pay like there there was trouble oh yeah there was a <laughs> really heavy like feeling backstage after the show it was it was not cool and there was people were in trouble <laughs> and it just felt like a bunch <laughs> like of you're kids. going to the principal's office <laughs> exactly just it, yeah. it was just this vibe of like oh we're in trouble like everybody's in trouble and yeah and then post-show uh like catering we're sort of sitting around having some food and drinks and i remember four of us are just kind of like so steve uh <laughs> like what what's the deal <laughs> do you remember what he said matt no oh i, I just remember he, he had like he had like a well he had like a pop and he had some food and and he like ryan that's exactly what you're saying he's just like he's like i don't know man sometimes the lights are going and you've broke your nose and you're <laughs> bleeding and, and you just gotta jump <laughs> <laughs> some takes over some takes over yeah no he i remember i uh, again i was a fan and i i saw him do a show where he did oh no no what it was uh chagall chagall guevara mm-hmm. did uh cornerstone one year the one of the proudest moments of my life is i got pulled on stage to clog with the band oh, and nice. you can find it's on youtube you can actually see me on on stage doing the arthur fonzarelli cossack dance which i can't do now but i could do it then and uh, I was pulled on stage by uh, Lynn to to dance with the band. It was a lot of fun. Anyway, he does Monkey Grinder, which is the, the big kind of slow crawl kind of song that they did. He fell on the stage. He, like he landed like he landed from standing straight up 90 degrees and he just did a face plant on the stage. And he sat there for about three minutes. And, and I went, I think I just saw Steve Taylor die at a festival. Like, it was like we sat there going is he okay? And the band wasn't moving towards him. And the fans were sitting there going, I, I, I think he's, I think he's got no pulse. Like it was, and he, and he dragged it out as long as he could because he it was part that. of the show. Yeah. Like it, was it was part was of his like, stick, man. He did that every night. He would fall every night. And he, cause he's like yeah, six yeah. foot 14 and his arm span is 14. Feet. Yeah. Yeah. He would do that thing where he would throw the mic down and then he would just fall and he'd go, is he dead? And he would just lie there. Yeah. yeah, it was just wow. thick, man. Now between the DC talk tour and the and the squint tour, what did you learn anything? Did you take away any, anything from either of those experiences? Oh, you're always learning. 
Sure. I think we learned how a, a road manager takes care of their artists because uh, early on in the in the tour <laughs> uh, with, with the tour in the in the states when Jesus Freak was was starting to get to be a big song, that's when Danny Keatsman would come backstage towards the end of DC Talks set and say, "Okay, need everyone out there to catch Toby." Because oh, Toby, right. yeah, Toby yeah. would do this thing. Toby would climb that's up right. as high as he could get, and then he would Toby climb he would, up on that, he would yeah. jump into the crowd from like you know twenty feet up or whatever. But that was Denny saying, "We got we we're not trusting the crowd. <laughs> got to make sure you guys are going to catch him. Come on, Hocus Pick, we got to go catch Toby." That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> Toby Toby Mac is the Tom Cruise of any band that he's in. Tom Cruise <laughs> that does his own stunts. That was Toby. Uh, my yeah. son and I, we went down to Chicago. There was a festival Toby Mac was playing, and we hadn't seen him in a couple of years. So we drove down. It was a huge festival. And uh, he did the same thing like five years ago. <laughs> it was like, oh, wow. yeah. wait a minute. You're like two, three years older than me. Like, I, my thing is I don't want to die stupid. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I, it, is, it, is, it is an avid goal of mine to say, yeah, skydiving sounds like fun, but I think I'm okay because I, I don't want to die stupid. Not to knock anybody who's going to skydive. I just, you know, the lawyer in me says, well, I don't want to, I don't want there to be a story after like, oh yeah, he shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. <laughs> but yeah, Toby did that at, at and he's probably, he's probably 48 at the time. And he took the dive off the, off the, the speakers again. And I went, oh, good for you. Good for you. So crazy stuff, man. So yeah, I mean, again, I always saw those as great opportunities for you to reach a new audience and and uh connect you guys you know we're you 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 were persistent that's the word i'm going to use about hocus pick nice the p stood for pick but the p stood for persistent and what i haven't seen over the years is a lot of bands or artists that are persistent right that aren't that are going to say wait a minute we agreed on this so let's stick to that we, we, or whatever the case we would actually not even joke about it. we would of note was every band that ever opened for us uh except for riley armstrong uh, I think mm-hmm. I think we killed every single band, didn't we, Matt? We did. <laughs> they all broke no, up after they toured with us. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I can I can name at least one or two. Yeah, yeah. So like, what? This, we were gonna go with Hocus Pick. They're big stars, and they'd go out with us and go, "What? This is the top of the industry in Canada." I don't know why I'm bothering to try to get to here. <laughs> this, sucks. this is as good as it gets. We're gonna break in Canada. Soul Food '76 had a real opportunity to break in Canada. <laughs> slow food slow food 76 yeah. no it's i, I think it was just it was like you know stature or whatever aside i think people would just you know get on the road and and realize how hard it was and how much work it was and and if they and didn't enjoy and if they didn't enjoy each other i i won't name names yeah. there was one band in in particular yeah, yeah. and they had one of the best musicians that we've ever known in their band um and the leader of this band was committed to it not being a real band but being like the leader and hired players and i and i remember us sitting him down and saying you know these your players are committed they want to be a band and 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 this leader sort of being like well it's me and and their hired players and and do you remember us telling this guy like look when we get to nashville um you're going to lose your yeah. your best guy cuz as soon as yeah. people start hearing him he's going to get offers and uh and that was never a, a worry for us in in hocus as far as like we enjoyed each other 
and and in fact, yeah. I don't think had any one guy quit, I don't know if the band would have gone on. Um, like mm-hmm. I, we didn't, we didn't. I, I you were should, in it I together. Should, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm speaking cavalierly. I'm sure they at many points would have wanted a different drummer, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, on the whole. I remember just thinking, you know, no, like, cause you'd see bands. But that guy or... was, that guy was committed to rush. That guy was already committed to rush though. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. No. no, it's, it's, so I think a lot of these bands, like if they, you know, if they weren't, if that personal uh, thing wasn't happening, I, there was I think definitely it, nothing. To, to uh, jump in there for you about what you just said there, Rick, I think partly too, I think we all realized that as musicians, we were not anything special individually, but somehow the sum of our parts was greater mm-hmm. than the four of us. Like somehow when we got together, what we were was better than it should have been. I don't know mm-hmm. why. I don't know what we got going on here, but this is better than it should be. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going anywhere else because I'm not that good. <laughs> and you always gave off the vibe coming from the angle I was looking you always gave off the vibe that that was good enough, right? That, 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 uh, you know, that there was something special or something magical when you got together, the chemistry and the, the, the relationship that you guys had was, was good enough. And that gave you, I said the other day, I keep using this phrase, but that a band has to have a level of delusion and swagger. And if you have, <laughs> if you have a measure of both of those things, you will press through your early years of trying to figure out what it means to be a band. And you'll get to a point where you say, okay, now I'm really happy with what we're doing. And I can look back on the stuff that we did and say, I'm going to hang on to the stuff that, that has value, but I'm going to recognize that we were young and we were starting out and we didn't know anything. And now we know more, right? We've been through the fire and we're persistent because we've been through the fire. And, and it was funny because the word persistent wasn't in my notes anywhere, but as we were talking, I went, that's what, that's what I say about Hocus Pick when I tell people yeah. that they were persistent. They persisted and they persisted and they, they knew the power of relationships. because I am polite and I'm rarely late. I like to eat ice cream and I really enjoy a nice pair of slacks.
拜。